and welcome to this week's Oxcast, your weekly roundup of all the best events happening in and around Oxford. This week, Jen will be talking to the photographer behind the insect portraits in the Natural History Museum, and I'll be talking about family-friendly events for half-term. But to kick us off, Mike has a weekend roundup. So Summer 8 is this weekend, which if you are an avid fan of the podcast will know that we, we chatted about, a bit about torpids back in the spring. Eights is very, very similar. It's bumps racing where, you know, crews crash into each other to get points and to go up positions. Uh, But the rules are slightly different. When a boat hits another boat, they both tap out, so they finish racing. So it's high-stakes stuff. This year, my predictions are with the women that... uh, Well, Wadham are the current head of the river, but Pembroke had a really strong torpids and are going to be chasing. So strong potential for uh, change at the top. And with the men, Pembroke again had a really strong torpids, but Oriel and Christchurch are always much stronger in the summer term because they're coming back from the boat race and they're coming back to college crews. So who knows? It should be an exciting one. That's running from Wednesday to Saturday, with Saturday being the biggest day with, you know, all bars and everything down on Boho Island. It's fantastic fun. Also, uh, this weekend you could go to Bothy Vineyard, uh, which Katie knows an awful lot about. I would say an awful lot. (laughs) (laughs) I went on a very nice tasting there. Um, and met the owners Richard and Sean and yeah it's a really nice day out their Oxford pink is the best rosé I've ever tasted wow yeah strong claim I know and there are very limited bottles of that left so I recommend you get some quickly <laughs> uh, so they're on open days and the next ones coming up are Saturday to Monday 4th to 5th of June but it's free entry mm. which is you know go and get some wine also this weekend lots of music going on uh, with Common People Festival in South Parks if you live anywhere you know in the east side of Oxford then you probably will have noticed <laughs> uh, but there are still tickets available and it's got fantastic headliners it's got Primal Screen Duran Duran, Chuckle Brothers, which you know I'm going for, <laughs> Public Enemy, and lots of local bands too. And just released today, they have the world's largest bouncy castle. It's just fantastic. <laughs> Can you bounce in time? That's the question. <laughs> but if it's 100 people, 100 people bouncing <laughs> oh in time. <laughs> oh, there's a capacity for chaos. <laughs> But as a karma festival, there's also the English Music Festival, which is running around Dorchester, so in the Abbey there, Dorchester Village Hall and Radley College. Uh, it's £200 for the whole festival for that, but you can also get tickets for all the individual events. If you imagine a compilation album entitled English Classics, you've got a fairly good picture of what might be on. But there's also there are some world premieres of new composers, which is fun stuff, and a new Vaughan Williams premiere, which someone has managed to find or finish or write or something. Uh, so that's... Could be very interesting, very cool. Uh, they've also got a really fun brass band evening with the Jaguar Land Rover band who are good and playing some really good English classics like uh, Howl's Pageantry, which is really good if you check that out. Is that but, meant to be played on brass band or are they adapting it? No, no, it's uh, written for brass band. Wow. Yes, yeah, around kind of the first half of the um, 20th century, lots of stuff was written for brass band as they started to take it seriously. And mm. while there was an interest in folk music, in classical music in general, uh, they also saw the brass band and go, hang on, this is this amazing folk ensemble that we can write for and sounds a bit like an organ. And So there's loads of really good music for it and that concert will show you more. Um, and there's also the Oxford International Film Festival this weekend running at the Phoenix uh, from Friday to Sunday. And they aim to bring together engaging independent film from around the world. 
Uh, so a couple of picks. There is Two Down, which is a tense drama. Uh, it's, it's produced by Derek Jacobi and Stephen Fry, curiously. <laughs> you have to go see it now. <laughs> I have to go and see it with names like that. Uh, and there is also Payback, which is a Brazilian film about funding a new movie by uh, conducting nefarious scams and also involves lots of revenge. Is it a true story? <laughs> I hope so. It would be extremely meta, wouldn't it, if that's how they produce the film altogether? <laughs> I think they should swap. So Derek Jacobi and Stephen Fry should produce that one. <laughs> I don't think Jacobi would be a very good con man. <laughs> oh, he'd be ace. <laughs> I really like that there, um, alongside all the sort of longer films, there are lots of little short films to enjoy and to take in. Hopefully, yeah. So every feature screening has a short attached to it. So mm. get more bang for your buck. Um, you can go to each screening individually, but you can also get a five screen pass for £42. And make sure to check out our reviews of the festival. So last week, I went to talk to Levon Biss, who is the photographer, um, who I think spends most of his time photographing celebrities and sports personalities and uh, doing sort of advertising shots and high glossy world. Gently who's following also- Sam Jackson around the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but he's taken some time out from that to photograph some insects. Um, and he's applied all of his extraordinary background, time, equipment, knowledge to um, photograph tiny, tiny insects in more detail than anyone has ever done before. Um, and it takes weeks and weeks and weeks. And the results are going to be on display in the Oxford Museum of Natural History. Um, and they're huge, these photographs. This is like the IMAX of the photography world. So some of them are sort of three metres across. So the, oh, wow. the, the tiny leg hairs of this tiny insect are blown up to amazing proportions. I'm struggling not to draw parallels between celebrities and insects here. But, <laughs> but they are fantastically constructed photos because they're constructed from thousands and thousands of shots. They are, yes. Um, he sets up the camera to take uh, sort of slices... 10 microns apart and he says for comparison 75 microns is the thickness of an average human hair and then they're sort of laid so this is how he gets every single tiny bit in focus because with the micro lenses you get a tiny depth of field so you have to take that many photos and build up and make sure that each tiny part is in focus on a different photograph and you sort of blend them all together if you want to know more about the procedure he uses um, there's a terrific film on um, his website all about the exhibition which is called microsculpture.net um, so go and do have a look at that um, but we talked to him about many different aspects uh, including how quickly this uh, ceased to be a, a terrible sort of two three week uh, ordeal <laughs> and how quickly um, he grew to love the insects that he was photographing and you started photographing insects for practical reasons I believe how soon did it become a labour of love? Um, pretty soon I mean after the first one, to be honest with you, after you go into creatures at this magnification, they're, they're beautiful, they're stunning. And because you can't see them like this with the naked eye, everything you see is new. You know, everything's a surprise. So, you know, after I shot the first insect that my boy gave me, um, after that, you know, it was no looking back. And after about four or five found insects that I was working with, I um, contacted the museum to see if I could use theirs or use the, you know, delve into their archive. They said yes, and that's what, that's where we got to now. So yeah, that was almost two years ago. And technically, it seems like a very difficult process throughout. How have you solved those technical difficulties? Trial and error. There's no other way around it. You know, there's, there's a basic system that you can set up. Um, and, you know, 
the, the actual process that I use is is fairly tried and tested, and there's a lot of people do it. All I'm doing really is taking it a step further, where I am, you know, breaking the bug down into many different sections and lighting those sections in a, uh, a controlled manner. So I'm taking a lot of my commercial lighting techniques and, you know, working on different parts of the insect to try and make each element of the insect as, as beautiful as possible. So, I mean, in essence, you know, if an insect is broken down into 30 different sections, whether it's an eye or an antenna or something like that, you know, you just treat every little section like a small still life. You know, so, you know, 30 different, you know, still life images and then brought together as one. You can hear more of that interview on Oxcast Extra, and so do check out the website. The exhibition itself is open this Friday, that's the 27th of May, and it's open until the end of October, so you've got plenty of time to go and visit it, uh, but I'd recommend going now. <laughs> now, as I'm sure all the parents in Oxfordshire will know, it's half term next week, and so I've picked out some fun, family-friendly events to entertain the kids. Uh, to start off with, I've picked Viking Invaders at Harwell Recreation Grounds in Didcot. So to set the scene, the year is 876 and the Vikings are attacking. Will the local Saxons be able to hold back the attack? <laughs> Who knows? So there's a chance to get involved with weapons demos, um, a living history camp, so maybe you can taste some Viking food. There's a procession through the town and children can even train to be part of the Saxon shield wall. Hopefully they won't actually be taking part in any fighting. <laughs> so this is happening on Sunday and Monday. And on Monday, there's actually the Harwell Feast, which will include uh, another parade, lots of crafts, a car boot sale and <laughs> <laughs> ferret racing, uh, a hog roast, birds of prey and vintage vehicles. Um, it sounds like a lot of fun. And it's only £2 in advance from local shops and £3 on the day. I can somehow imagine the Vikings having a car boot sale with sort of wagons lined up around a field, <laughs> swapping shields. <laughs> Did the Vikings ever get as far as how well? Is this based on a, a real event? Um, I think they use um, rivers a lot, so I think they might have, actually. Yeah. Possibly. They'd certainly got about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> Next up, it's uh, Compose a Creepy Crawly Song at the Story Museum, which is happening on Tuesday at 2pm. And it's David Gibb, who's a folk singer-songwriter who's made appearances on BBC Radio 4. And he will help you work out what instrument a cricket might play and whether you're a jitterbug or a beetle. Now, where do you think you'd lie <laughs> in this? Um, well, I do like spending time in strawberry fields, so probably a beetle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm more of a bee boxer myself. <laughs> what about you, Katie? <laughs> to be honest, I'm a bit waspish about the whole thing. No! <laughs> so, yeah, you can find out where you lie <laughs> in this bizarre camp by heading to the Story Museum on Tuesday at 2pm and it's £7 for adults and £5 for children and it's suitable for ages 7 and, and up. And finally, very exciting, well, I know Mike's excited about this, Hello. there's the 2016 kayak course, which is being run by the Falcon Rowan and Canoe Club at Meadow Lane. Um, so they 
hold lots of courses over the summer and you can go to as many or as few as you like and it's a sort of introduction to kayaking. Falcon are a really cool club actually. They do lots of community-based stuff and are very accessible. Uh, so especially if you want to get into rowing as well as kayaking. And other kayaking, there's also the Oxford Kayaking Canoe Club who do lots of courses and teaching and are also very cool and very, very helpful. And one of those two groups I think is behind the community kayak which I haven't seen it in ages, but I found it last summer when I was on the river. And it was just an upturned kayak in a field that had written on the bottom, this is community kayak, take it where you will and leave it for someone else to use. Ah. And it was full of holes and I sank <laughs> twice. <laughs> but it was a lovely idea. So if you see it around in the parks or in the, the, on the riverbank this summer, then do take it out and take some pictures of it. I'm sure they'd love it. Cool. It's lovely. <laughs> um, there's also... Um, while I was researching us, I found the Kayaking Tours of Oxford, which is run by Oxford Kayak Tour. And it's a three and a half hour tour. It's about six miles long. Um, I think you start at Charwell Boathouse. And it looks really lovely. And you stop for a little picnic at um, Parsons Pleasure. Yeah, and there are lots of spaces available for that. Um, in One on this Saturday and then quite a few in June, and that's £50. But the summer kayaking course by the... Uh, Falcon Rowing and Canoe Club is on Tuesday and there's a session at 9.30am to 12pm and 12pm to 3.30pm and that's £25 and suitable for adults and children from the ages of eight. I can feel my arms getting tired just thinking about that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, on to a couple of lectures. We currently have Dr Naomi Wolf visiting Oxford. Uh, She's a visiting research fellow. Um, She is the author of The Beauty Myth and other books um, and is quite a controversial journalist um, with a a sort of historical um, aspect to her books as well. Uh, She's written eight non-fiction books, um, including Vagina, a new biography. um, (laughs) And she's also been a political advisor to Al Gore and Bill Clinton. So pretty good resume, I think. Wow. (laughs) Um, And her new book is called Outrages, and it's about the invention of censorship and homophobia. And she's giving a lecture on censorship, banned speech, um, um, Victorian sort of ideals of of, uh, being nice and not talking about things. Um, and she's going to speak in Mansfield College on Friday at five o'clock, and that lecture is free. That sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah I she's... wonder what she advised Bill Clinton on. <laughs> <laughs> Many things, I am sure. Um, yeah, she, she's an interesting person. She's a lot of her books get quite controversial reviews. Some people love them and think they're wonderful. Other people think that um, she's, it, it's polemic rather than research, or mm. they disagree fundamentally with one of her points. Um, but yeah, she certainly gets people talking about these things. And the beauty myth was an extremely um, influential book mm. when that came out. Uh, so she's described as third wave feminist. Um, so. Yeah, really interesting person. Catch her while she's here. Um, And then we've also got a lecture entitled When Literature Swears. (laughs) Going for all the rude language today. Um, That's about literature, language and class. And it's subtitled, and I have to do this in the right accent. Oh, what horrid language. Um, That's at Brooks. John Henry Brooks Lecture Theatre at the Gypsy Lane site. Uh, That's on Wednesday the 1st of June, 6 till 7. And that's also free. Uh, speaking of visiting academics, the Villiers Quartet, who I think we've spoken about before, are currently in residence at the music faculty at the Oxford University. 
and they're doing some fantastic projects and uh, doing lots of concerts with student composers and workshops and things. And But they also run this annual New Works competition. Uh, the final is coming up, which is in Oxford this time because they're here. It's quite a big competition, actually. They've had 114 entries from 34 countries. Wow. Impressive. And it's an odd thing. Having composition competitions for quartets is... Quartets are an interesting form because they're such an old ensemble and have been written for by every composer ever that they're often seen as a training ground. And when you're learning composition, you learn certain things about how to write uh, certain lines for for quartets and you learn about Mozart's quartets and Barking writing and Beethoven rewriting and so loads of stuff like that. And so it means that when you do competition stuff, they're going to be composers that maybe aren't so well known, so are still perhaps struggling to find a proper direction or find a voice. So, the three finalists. First one is Ian Munro, who's an Australian composer, uh, who has written String Quartet Number One uh, from an exhibition of Australian woodcuts. Uh, he is sort of a more traditional composer. He, like one of the other finalists, is a pianist, really, a performer. And that influences the way he writes because of what the concert hall tradition means certain pianists play. And so he kind of... The music sounds very modal and very similar to people like Percy Granger and around the turn of the uh, turn of the century English music, so sort of similar to Vaughan Williams, that kind of thing. Um, and it's perhaps not so surprising, this style, if you align it with a national identity of Australia type of thing. I mean, that's quite a generalist thing to say. But it might make sense that, yes, Australia has this fantastic music scene too, and come and see us. Um, but the next composer, Andrew Guo, who's from the USA, is a 17-year-old pianist, which is, I mean, listening to his work, it's really quite incredible what he's doing. And this one, Fantasy, is a narrative piece, which is a form that he's not really written in before, and is, again, a more traditional one, as more people deal with more abstract concepts and things now. And it's a more traditional style too. And there's lots of homage going on, lots of modal stuff, but it's rhythmically more interesting or more progressive, I suppose, than Monroe's stuff. And the final composer, who I'm much more excited about, is Christina Wolf, who um, is... Well, she's billed as being from the USA and Denmark, but she's currently doing a PhD at Brown in multimedia and computer music experiments. So she does a lot of spectral stuff and electronic music. Cool. And she's a bass player, really. Uh, and her music kind of tries to align those two things, which is much more interesting with a quartet because being such a traditional form, you're saying, I'm going to take new techniques and fun new things and say, but here's a fantastic traditional thing which, you know, fits very well on the stage at Garsington or whatever. And it's a much more, well, it's much more exciting things. And this particular piece, Planktus, uh, it's all written in scordatura, which for string instruments means alternate tuning. And it's been, again, a very historical technique, so it was used in Baroque times and various things. In Mahler 4, there's a big violin solo with the top string raised, uh, and it means that you can explore different timbral and tuning and resonant relationships with between the instruments, okay. which in spectral music is really, really important. Um, and I really wanted to win because she lists some of her influences as Guillaume de Macho, Pauline Oliveros and Jonathan Harvey. So, basically, the dream. <laughs> <laughs> and it's an interesting concept because cause it's on at the JDP on Friday at 7, but it's also live-streamed for free on their website. Oh, amazing. And they're talking about experimenting with different types of audiences, but, I mean, beyond that, it's just giving these composers to the world in a very cool way. So does the Villiers Quartet play these pieces? Then? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, right. And then the audience is judging it all. 
wow. which is very cool. And it's also hosted by Paul Gambaccini of Radio 4's Counterpoint. So yes. Amazing. Check that out. It'd be very exciting, I think. That sounds like a most unusual event. Yeah. <laughs> cool. And we're going to finish up with some theatre. So uh, next week we've got No Exit, which is Jean-Paul Sartre's um, most famous work. Um, it's the work from which comes the quote, hell is other people, uh, which you might know. Hell is not student theatre. As I have pointed out on this podcast many times before, student theatre is an excellent training ground for all sorts of things. And you might see some bizarre works. <laughs> But it's well worth going to see. Uh, so this is about three characters trapped in purgatory. Uh, we're uh, told this is a bizarrely furnished purgatory. I don't know how one expects purgatory to be furnished. Really. Sparsely. Um, yeah. <laughs> three characters try to work out why they're there before they turn on each other. So I'm not sure this is going to be a barrel of laughs, but <laughs> this is an important philosophical work and, um, yeah, well worth seeing. And it's being done as an immersive production in the round uh, which oh. in the Burton Taylor, in the claustrophobic oh. confines of the Burton Taylor, uh, I think is going to work rather well. Yeah. Um, so that's on Tuesday to Saturday, seven thirty pm, six pounds or five pounds concessions. Or at the other end of the theatrical spectrum, and indeed the other end of the county, we've got a double bill of Alan Bennett's memoirs at the Watermill Theatre in Newbury. That's on till eleventh of June, and there's a review on Daily Info. Check it out. You can check out more details for these and all of the rest of the theatre going on in Oxford and Oxfordshire on Daily Info, uh, much of it with reviews. <laughs> Make sure to follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Daily Info Oxford. And to play us out, here's Andrew Guo's Fantasy, 